Hey there, Full Disc listeners. We've got something special for you today. In the current global pandemic world we're living in, we at Full Disc started feeling the huge void being left by the extreme lack of aviating going on. Our good friends at Mudspike Aviation felt the same. We both agreed that something needed to be done. Since we couldn't get out and watch our friends fly, we figured what better way to keep in touch than inviting them into our virtual flight line and having a simple conversation about all things aviation. For seven straight hours, we had live conversations with military pilots, airshow pilots, warbird owners and operators, social media personalities, and photographers. The audio was recorded live, and while there were definitely some technical issues that popped up, we feel that the quality of the conversation greatly outweighs the quality of the audio. Without further ado, Full Disc Aviation and Mudspike Aviation present the following for your listening pleasure. Full Disc Aviation and Mudspike Aviation present an aviation conversation. All right, everybody, welcome back to the Full Disc Aviation Mudspike Aviation Virtual Air Show. Joined by Mr. Chris Loaf. Yep. And sitting down with us today is the Eric Tucker of Tucker's Air Patrol. Eric, how you doing? I'm doing well. How about you guys? Doing all right. Thanks for uh, taking time out of your day to talk airplanes with us. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so just kind of a basic intro. Um, Eric, if you could tell us about your background, what got you into flying, and uh, what do you fly? So I, um, I, I fly all kinds of stuff. Uh, I guess what I... <laughs> Uh, what I fly in air shows, J3 Cub, 1941. Um, it's uh, I tell people it's a fire breather with 100 horsepower, but you know when you consider <laughs> that, when you consider that the original Cub, I think the original one that was designed, like they they first built it, and you know, they designed it like late 20s or something like that. But like the first one that they built, the t- prototype, it was on like a 2500 foot little grass strip, and they had a 20 horsepower engine in it. And it couldn't get off the ground. Well, it could get off the ground, but it could only get it couldn't get out of ground effect. So they decided they need a new um, new engine. So <laughs> I guess when you yeah. consider that the first one had twenty horsepower, it is kind of a fire breather. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, what other airplanes do you fly? If uh, you don't mind us asking. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So uh, I'm also a corporate pilot. We uh, we have a King Air 350 that I fly and a Falcon 900. Um, and then uh, I got friends with. Like Moonies and Silver Eagles, the little turbine two ten thing, and um, uh, some of, and then actually another friend that has a little CT flight designs, light sport. Uh, so I guess I kind of fly anything I can get my hands on. <laughs> That's always a good strategy. <laughs> yeah, so long as it so long as it looks reasonably uh, put together. <laughs> yep. Um, for those folks that haven't seen you perform air show, could you walk us through the the various facets of your air show routine? Yeah, absolutely. So it's really it's it's a um sort of a throwback to the old barnstormer uh era of um of aviation and aerial performances and stuff. So um you know, it's it's got a barnstorming air airplane, you know, sort of an airplane that was designed in the late 20s. Uh, mine was built in 1941. Um and uh and so we do how I describe it to friends who've never been to air shows is that you know, a lot of people have been to a rodeo and Pretty much every rodeo has a rodeo clown. So we do basically <laughs> the air show version of a rodeo clown thing. So it's a comedy act um, that has a bunch of theatrics built around it. And basically sort of the, the, the deal is is that my character, my alter ego, Red Defro, who's a banjo playing buffoon from Tennessee, <laughs> um, 
he uh, with Bad Beast. Uh, he he comes out and and wins a raffle ride uh, from uh, from our sponsor Method Seven uh, Sunglasses Company, and um, and uh, and then I accidentally, you know, the tail will get stuck in the mud. It's sort of a, a model of air shows that's been going on since like the twenties, and I I remember growing up going to air shows and thinking, man, that looks like the coolest thing ever. And so then I, you know, quote unquote, steal the airplane accidentally and then go up to the skies and then the announcer has to talk me down. Um, so it's all about just kind of getting an airplane in all the wackiest um, situations and sort of aerodynamic flight mode that you can um, and making it look as scary as possible without it actually being scary in the cockpit. Um, so, <laughs> so, and then, so we do basically three acts. One is uh, that one. Uh, then we do a dead stick um, routine where I basically climb up to like 6,000 feet, turn the engine off, stop the prop, uh, and then glide down and do aerobatics, loops and rolls and hammerheads, stuff like that, as like a glider um, all the way down to land. And then the third one is um, a car top landing. And actually, we, we incorporate the car top landing into the, the end of the comedy act where sort of as it's scripted is Red Jeffro tries to land, you know, announcer starts talking him through it, and he tries to land and can't. And then, um, and then, uh, can't figure it out. Says, "Do you have any other ideas?" And then we says, "Well, we have this experimental aircraft recovery technology um, <laughs> that that we." Uh, and then it's an ambulance with giant magnets in it. And then uh, he says, "All you have to do is get close to that ambulance. He'll flip on the magnet switch and it'll suck you on down." And what's funny is that even after everybody knows the whole show is a spoof, people still in the audience come up and they're like, "Man, that was you had us going for a while. We were so scared." Blah blah. blah. Like, but seriously, how did those magnets work? <laughs> I just ah, go yes, with that. I'm like, magnets. oh man, you see, see that that ridge across the top? We got all this electronics inside. It's like, look at that, and they're like, wow, that's amazing. <laughs> Design that. <laughs> yeah, that's uh, that's awesome. It's it's certainly a great airshow routine for those that haven't seen it. Uh, I think it's always a, a a fan favorite as well as a photographer favorite to snag the the rooftop landing on the van there. Um. Take us through what it's like to to perform a stunt, if you will, like that. Yeah, so um, I guess the, you know, I'll sort of start off with my favorite. My favorite's actually the dead stick um, mm-hmm. because it, it's sort of just like a big giant meditation and it's all energy management um, and it's super peaceful. Um, it, um, it's relatively um, sort of low stress in that, uh, you know, the ground is not there. Because, you know, the, the way that people kill themselves in aerobatics is um, by hitting the ground. And so if you're in the dead stick, almost all of it are really, really high off the ground. So, um, so, it, uh, so it's relatively sort of benign, I guess. Um, mm. And it's just, uh, and it's light G. And so, you know, and, and it's just, to me, that's just like flying like a bird. I started off when I was, uh, first started learning to fly, I was, uh, started off in gliders. Um, and so, uh, so it brings me back to, I don't know, my root quote unquote, I guess, you know, and, um, and, uh, and so, yeah, so basically in that, like the technical side of it is that, um, the cub can just, even with the engine on, um, at full power, the cub can just sort of barely do a loop and barely do a roll. So it's, um, you know, I, I, we timed it, my airplane, it takes like 11 seconds to do a roll, an aileron roll, um, <laughs> which, you know, which like most of the, most of the airplanes you see in, in air shows, um, you know, we'll do them in uh, about a second, you know, like an extra 300 or edge or whatever. And even like Matt Young and we were talking about earlier, Matt Young and Twin Beach Act, you know, a big old Beach 18 or, 
um, or Bob Hoover Strike Commander. Most of those kinds of airplanes can roll in about three seconds, three and a half seconds, something in that range. Um, so, uh, so it's it's crazy, crazy slow. Um, and so it really is um, setting the airplane up. And you know, lots of people reach out to me. It's like, oh, how do you do aerobatics in a cub? And it's like, well, it's um, it's actually sort of an advanced airplane to do it in because there's not a whole lot of margin. Um, mm. and, uh, you got to get it sort of just right to make it happen. Um, other than that, um, once you kind of get those things down, then it's, um, then it's just, um, like I said, it's super light G. I mean, I'm not ever pulling more than like two, two and a quarter G's and on the airplane. So it's actually aerodynamically, um, not hard on the airplane. Um, mm-hmm. but it, uh, but it's certainly a wrestling match. And so, and then, like I said, to do a loop, you basically dive it down to V and E. Um, especially dead stick, you dive it down to V and E or about five miles per hour below V and E because I want to keep the prop stopped. Um, mm-hmm. Because if I let the prop start to windmill, once it starts windmilling, um, it, it, it sometimes it'll go like one blade or two blades it'll kick over. But if it but if it really kicks up, then um, then it will uh, provide a lot more drag. So when the prop is windmilling, it actually does provide a lot more drag than if the prop is stopped. Mm-hmm. Um, and so when the prop's windmilling, I can barely, barely, barely make it over the top of a loop. And so, so that's sort of the challenge. As soon as the prop wants to start windmilling about five miles per hour below uh, V&E, um, then I pull. And if I put a little G on it, it's also a little bit less likely to windmill, interestingly. I, I don't know the aerodynamics mm-hmm. on that yet. but um, And so anyway, so just try and get it right up to that little edge, bring it over, and then... Um, and it's really kind of egg-shaped loops. You just kind of barely get over the top. Uh, and then rolls, you pitch up. Um, and the trick on rolls is to not exceed V&E, especially with those ro- super slow roll rate airplanes, um, is to not exceed V&E on the backside. Um, and then the, the, real, the biggest trick of it all is the, the hammerhead um, because you don't want to tail slide. You know, those airplanes really aren't built for tail sliding like the kind of modern aerobatic airplanes are. Um, so uh, as soon as, basically, as soon as I hit the vertical, I kick rudder, um, and it just barely has enough energy to get to about knife edge before it starts coming back down. Um, and uh, yeah, it's uh, it's just a super fun wrestling match. The comedy act is like a whole another thing. That's just like yeah. a little rodeo <laughs> thing. So basically, it's just being cross controlled and making it look as wacky as possible. Um, and you know, when you're flying any aerobatic, um, especially air show like low level, um, like I said, the ground is sort of the major concern. Um, and and setting yourself up so in no matter what scenario um, you can uh, avoid the ground. So you know one of the biggest ones is engine failure. Um, if you have an engine failure at any point, do you have enough energy to make it over? And what are your in what are your out what are your planned um, yeah planned out? Uh, and there's a bunch of interesting mm-hmm. like brain psychology that goes along with it. That's actually one of the most fascinating things to me is that it really is a study of self. Um, because if you uh, you have to walk that line, fine line between being a hundred percent confident, because if you're ninety percent confident in something, you you tend to be timid, um, and you're not mm-hmm. going to execute your full potential and do exactly what you want. You're going to be jittery and stuff like that. And if you're overconfident, it's like um, you know obviously worse than even being timid. And so uh, mm-hmm. just because you're bullish and making horrible decisions. So um, when you're operating aerobatics is uh, it's really safe as long as you're at altitude. Once you start getting low, it gets really, really serious really fast. Um, and so, you know, there's lots of little tricks, like um, it, setting yourself up in the way you practice, and then also 
um, I guess sort of like talk about two different aspects of it. One of them is the the aer- the psychology aspect of it, and then one of them is sort of like the physics. So a simple example of like the physics would be when you when you're coming at the ground, you never want to pull away from the ground. Like say you do a hammerhead and you're coming straight down at the ground, um, then you you want to start your pull early so that by the time you're you know maybe 45 degrees from about 45 degrees nose down so you start off you know 90 degrees so about mm-hmm. halfway through the pool from there you want to be relaxing the back stick pressure and like sort of like reaching for the ground almost rather than starting your pull late and then pulling away from the ground and like increasing the g as you get close to the ground you know what i mean so yeah. um uh and then that kind of ties into this human kind of factors of it the stress equation of it is that when you're when you're stressed um we all you know we get into these sort of like holes of of cognition and we're actually the more stressed you are the more you rely you kind of sink into the amygdala and these like real primitive fight or flight types of responses mm-hmm. and if you if you get into that mode then um then you're going to go back to how, kind of your training so like you know when everybody says like uh under stress, you'll do what you were trained to do. It's really true. The 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 downside is that when you're in those stress, fight or flight stuff, you, the brain is designed not to think. The amygdala is designed to cut off the cognitive brain to initiate action, um, and then and only then, once you've kind of recovered and built back up to like a lower stress state, can you start cognitively thinking, um, which is not really how we think of ourselves as humans. We think of ourselves as cognitive and. You know, when we look at all aviation accidents, we're like, what was that guy thinking? But the point is, is that he wasn't thinking because he couldn't think because our brains are all designed that way. So you have to set up your training regimen so that you address those kinds of factors um, and take you kind of pre-program your brain to make the proper decisions. The upside of the amygdala and that sort of stress response is that it's super, super resilient under stress. So if you've programmed the right types of reactions, you are going to do that every time. It's sort of like the gazelle mm-hmm. doesn't forget how to run um, when a cheetah when it sees a cheetah. Um, that's designed. It, it's just it's really really resilient and robust under stress. Um, so that's a good good. So there's like this upside and downside. So you have, have to figure out how to play with that in order to safely fly aerobatics low level. Yeah, I mean, it's it's just impressive when especially when you're out doing your the comedy routine and seeing you essentially from, from the ground point throw the airplane on at, at such low altitude what what is it like just seeing how close you are to the ground in, in those maneuvers hey, g- g- hold on just a quick second i got um i got my kid in the oh no no worries uh, <laughs> hold on uh everybody's been cooped up for covid too long yep. hold, <laughs> yeah, hold on just one second yeah no worries no worries All right, I'm uh, back with you. Sorry about oh, that. Oh, yeah, no worries. No no problem. <laughs> I, I have two boys, six and eight. They're, they're really amazingly good friends. I don't think they know how blessed they are that they have like, <laughs> such a good friend um, in the house with them because they're just, like, giggling and laughing and wrestling all the time. Um, but, you know, every once in a while, they're brothers, and they, uh, they yeah. just had a flare up. They're, they were just doing the, you did it, no, you did it, no, you did it. I don't know what happened, but my wife yep. can deal with it. <laughs> um, but, uh, yeah, so... Um, you're saying with the low level stuff so so i think there's there's a couple things with cub um that the optics of it is really crazy um 
and it took me actually a long time to get used to because all my other air show experience was in uh, I flew a Columbia 400 in air shows for a year, um, which was interesting because it was like that low roll rate, low pitch rate, low G mm-hmm. type of aerobatics. So it was a different, completely different challenge um, than kind of how I was brought up in aerobatics, which is like high performance pits and extras uh, predominantly. And so um, in a pits or an extra, um, really, if you're going to do a loop, you know, you kind of have some golden rules where like, if you're going to do a loop at the top of the loop, you check your altimeter, your energy state, basically at all these critical phases. And one of them is at the top of the loop um, in order to pull down um, and complete the back half of the loop, you have to be at least a thousand feet above the ground. Um, mm-hmm. And you also have to take into account um, altimeter air because your altimeter reads a different altitude at a high speed state than it does at a low speed state. So you just got to make sure that you account for all that kind of stuff. But you got to be like a real thousand feet off the ground. Um, and if you do that, then no matter what your speed is on top, um, you can complete the um, the backside of a loop. Um, well, I guess not no matter what speed you're on top, but so long as you're kind of bracketed in, in a, within a reasonable uh, range. And so um, so this, that's kind of the scale of, those, of most of the airplanes that you'll see at air shows. Most of the high-performance airplanes, I guess, is about 1,000 mm-hmm. feet. Warbirds and jets, stuff like that, have a, a, a different altitude. And it's all, you know, the, the faster you go in, the bigger your radius is. So yeah. the cub goes really, really slow. Um, and so, uh, so because of that, all the radius are really, really small. And the airplane is big, much bigger than those high-performance airplanes. Um, so because of that, because it's bigger, it looks slower. And because it's slower, it does these tiny little radius, or radii, I guess. And, um, and so what we, um, so it just operates on a different scale. So for example, the biggest I can make a loop is 300 feet. Um, so it, wow. so because of that, it looks like, it looks like I'm way lower than I am comparatively to all these other airplanes. Um, so I'm operating with, um, you know, like take, uh, you know, Rob Holland or Bill Stein who are at the Santa Maria Air show where we all got to work together mm-hmm. last year. And, um, and the reason why I look so much lower, um, is because, uh, I'm just slower and it's a bigger airplane. Um. And so, um, so a lot of it's an optical illusion. Um, and then a lot of it is just sort of the physics. If you're going to build a sequence around the exact same margins and the same philosophy of always giving yourself an out, the physics makes it smaller. Um, so, so it makes it lower, even with the same, I guess, margin of error. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um, so, uh, so I guess that's part of it. The other part of it is like, you know, like kind of like what I got to back to in the beginning is that it's training. Um, yeah. I mean, basically, if you're going to do a loop at low level, um, first you do, you know, 5,000 loops at, you know, 5,000 feet and then 5,000 to 2,000 feet and 5,000 to 1,000 feet. And then you do a bunch of aerobatic competitions um, to get the discipline and the mental decision making because decision making under stress, as I kind of alluded to, is, is yeah. like almost impossible. So you have to kind of come up with, sort of uh workaround um how to ensure that you're gonna you're gonna do the right thing um uh you're you're gonna you have to kind of do a bunch of workarounds to ensure that you're gonna make decisions that you would approve of in a cognitive state when you're in that sort of stress zone um and so uh yeah Yeah. and then uh, but it is really visually stimulating and it took that was the hardest thing for me was getting used in getting used to the cub because I've only been doing the cub bear shows for uh, two years now. And, um, and gosh, dude, like the first time I came over the loop, you know, I, and I did that same progression, um, did a bunch of altitude, then lower altitude, then lower altitude, and just sort of stepped it on down. 
but when I first started doing them, um, like at the surface or even like the step up above the surface, um, my shadow is so huge um, that like <laughs> yep. you know when you're in a pisser and extra, you look down and like you barely see your shadow from the top of a loop. But in a cub, it's like oh my god, it's, I'm at the <laughs> ground already. I mean, you know, the, like, the top altitude is like you can't even get to the vertical uh, at that point in one of those high performance airplanes. So it was really wacky. Um, took a lot to get used to, but you know, like from from the top of a loop. If I lose an engine uh, on the vertical upline of a loop, then from the top of the loop, so whatever your max altitude is, I can close, even with power at idle, I can close the loop and go from level inverted to level upright with pulling back stick in like 150 feet um, without pulling too much Gs, um, which is mm-hmm. crazy small. So, um, yeah. so yeah, so it's just a, it's just a whole nother scale of flying. And, I've, and um, it's been a challenge. Uh, and uh, uh, but it's been a fun, really a fun sort of study uh, of physics and decision making and all mm-hmm. that kind of stuff. And a great way that, you know, one of the big reasons I did it is just because it was the next way to kind of explore air, like the physics of flight and, you know, grow as an aviator. And stuff. Yeah, that's awesome. We got, we got one listener question here for you. Um, a certain Chris Kunkel ask, asks, what's your favorite air show? <laughs> <laughs> that's a no-brainer man <laughs> so so literally uh i i you know grew up going to air shows all over the country um and uh you know from the time i was nine i was narrating my dad's routine and stuff like that and then from nine to 16 i spent all my summer vacations traveling to air shows um and um and so i've been to I don't know, hundreds and hundreds of air shows all over the country and they mm-hmm. all have like their uh unique parts and they're all like just these wonderful celebrations of flight and physics and you know they're cool family events um where you get people outside and away from their phones and you know kind of stuff like that um uh and i think everybody is fascinated with flight some of us you know like all of us who are talking right now and (laughs) chris gunkel Mm -hmm. and the whole gunkel family but you know there's like uh, (laughs) there's some of us are more geeky about airplanes than others uh you know me included um and um, you know, really get enthralled when my my youngest son or uh, my oldest son, he's just totally nuts for aviation. I mean, all he wants to do is build Lego airplanes and draw airplanes, and his hero is Chris Kunkel's grandfather, and you know all that oh, that's sort of stuff. Awesome. Yeah. Um. And so you know, like there's super cool air shows like Andrews, um, they had or Edwards that has the, uh, you know, like the airplane breaks the speed of sound, and Reno has the mm-hmm. has the races and all like pushing the the limits of speed and uh, using all these old world war ii airplanes and all the little home built and the tinkers and oshkosh is just magic because it has like um they're just the world's largest flying right and you know people are camping out under the wing and all that sort of stuff um mm-hmm. one of my favorite air shows through the years was uh this little one that we did um and it, it, it was in ainsworth nebraska um uh or maybe it was ainsworth iowa i don't know it was, it, it, whatever it was it was i mean it was like 25 years ago so uh, <laughs> pardon me for not remembering exactly but it was so red it was a, actually a model airplane air show um and then uh my dad and uh wayne hanley flew it um and it was just the raddest thing ever because you were watching model airplanes fly all day long and like you know uh and the great thing about model airplanes is like when somebody takes off and their wings fold up and they crash it's like oh my gosh that was awesome um, <laughs> so it's like it's just like this whole other side of things you know you never want to see some a real airplane do that because oh, yeah. you're worried about the pilot right but um 
but literally, so my first air show with the with the Cub Act, um, and it was actually it was my first air show in about ten years that I flew. Um, so I had kids and you know grew up and got a real job and all that sort of stuff. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, my first air show back was uh, was with the Kunkel family at uh, at the Santa Maria Air Show. And uh, and then also Mike Tyson, my buddy, who's been uh, driving the ambulance at all the air shows for me. Um, I've had a couple mm-hmm. other buddies that've driven it uh, for practice and stuff. But he's Mike's Mike's nominated himself to drive at every <laughs> single air show, uh, and he's just a spectacular person. But anyways, he um, so that and that was his first experience with the air shows ever. And uh, and then like Santa Maria, uh, Chris has put together just the most fantastic team, and they're just like super soulful. And you know they won the hospitality award at the international convention of air shows because um because they do they really put on like the most fabulous uh uh hospitality uh ever and like just like such a soulful deal chris and i mean i remember the first year chris and all his friends i mean it's their first year putting on an air show so it's like you know they didn't quite have their technique down it's like they're like oh yeah we gotta do this i mean anytime you do something for the first time it's like (laughs) oh like everybody's just scrambling and they did just such an incredible job even while they're scrambling and uh, one of my favorite moments of that is like I ran back over to the to the hangar after the show before everybody else got there um, because the winds were crazy. The winds that first year, I mean, it was like blowing gusting 30 oh, yeah. knots at least oh, on the yeah, ground, right? That. Yeah, it was crazy. And the, my Cubs, like it, it'll take off at 32 miles an hour. So I was super stressed <laughs> the whole time because of that. Um, and so after my last performance, I just landed right over back at the air uh at the hangar and um on the taxiway right in front and just taxi straight into the hangar and got that thing <laughs> in on the ground so i could like relax for the day and uh and chris's uh girlfriend at the time you know his fiance now uh she was she was on the little zamboni thing polishing the hangar floor um and it's like <laughs> you know i don't think that's her natural state i mean she's she's uh She's a little bit more put together, you know. She's a hairdresser and stylist and all this sort of stuff, and and uh, but she's out there driving the zamboni. Because, you know that was just how the how the show was. It's like it, the family put it together, and anything that needed to be done, any of the family would do, no matter who it was. And uh, so yeah, absolutely, Santa Maria is uh, is one of my top favorite shows ever, and it had a special place in my heart. And then you know, Mike and I, we've done a bunch of shows since, and. Uh, and Mike expected, he's like, oh, my God, these air shows are magic. I, mean, I think he expected <laughs> every air show to be just as magic. And uh, our, after we did a couple more shows, he looks at me, he's like, yeah, I mean, these shows have been cool, but, like, there's something magic about Santa Maria, huh? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there yep. is. <laughs> awesome. So, yeah. So I think, I think we've got one more listener question in here. Um, what, what's the plane that you want to... You want you want to fly airbags in the most in the future? Is there anything that you you know would like to you know add to um, your show or oh, even totally. just personally? Totally. So, um, you know, so it, there's a couple of my dear friends um, that like you know at like one in the morning I'll get a text from them of like an ad on Trader Plane or Barnstormers <laughs> and they're like, "What do you think about this one?" <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> and some of them don't like don't even have uh you know i've never owned an airplane before like one of my cousins in particular is this lawyer um and he'd love to like he would totally love to learn how to fly but you know he's got a family and this he's building this law firm and he's like going gangbusters and so you know realistically if he gets an airplane he's not going to like get his pilot's license for probably 20 years something like that because he's just too busy (laughs) and like he's got other priorities but he desperately so like for the last five years he's been sending me like 
pictures of beach 18s and dukes and king airs and all this sort of stuff and um you know just try because he's like oh so he actually sent me a meme of um it was it was basically like a picture of a person you know stick figure picture of a person a drawing of them looking at an airplane at, at uh airplanes on the uh you know on a computer <laughs> and it says like me this is me like looking at all the airplanes i can't afford so i'm just just like all the other airplane <laughs> geeks out there that do that even though i have a cub i still like like oh what about this one or what about that one so i guess that's a long way of saying yeah there's a lot that i would like my wife asked me one day it's like what would be your dream airplane i'm like oh uh, it's sort of like <laughs> surfboards it's like you got to have a quiver you know mm-hmm. <laughs> exactly you got to have your, so, your your choice few <laughs> yeah exactly so so my whole life i've been wanting to do the comedy act thing um when i was 12 i spent a week with uh, a couple weeks actually with jimmy minning um who was like an old uh comedy act pilot he yeah i think through like the 70s and 80s is when he flew most of his air shows maybe in the 60s um he did the car top landing thing and all that sort of stuff so i've been wanting to do this model of act uh since i was like 12 um and then uh and then the other act uh that really influenced me um is like that beach 18 so like matt yonkin uh and his dad bobby yonkin um and then even before that um was uh bill reisman had this air air show called the yak attack um, and I think it was one of the coolest shows ever. It was a Beach 18 um, that was painted kind of similar to Matt Yonkin's air, uh, airplane, where it was like all red and black, mostly black with like a little red accent. Um, and then he had two Yaks, um, the Yak 50s or something like that. Uh, the little single seat tail dragger uh, aerobatic, kind of 1980s aerobatic uh, airplanes. Mm-hmm. Um, and so all three of these airplanes had radial in. So it was two Yaks and a Beach 18, and they'd form up and they'd do some formation loops and rolls. And then they'd break apart and the yaks would come and do all this opposing stuff. And the beach 18 would come in and do loops and rolls and <laughs> big old smoke. And I always thought that was like one of the coolest acts ever. Um, and then, uh, and then also um, doing like a Bob Hoover type of routine, I think would be really cool. I haven't got to actually watch um, um, uh, David Martin do his, his performance yet, um, but he's got a Baron that he's doing it in. So doing something like that, I think would be really cool. And then like, the logistics of it, I think, would um, like I almost wish I would have gone that route. Uh, if I had to do it again, I think I might have gone that route instead of the comedy act first, and purely because, um, like with the comedy act, I got I have a two seater airplane that flies that cruises around at like you know sixty five miles an hour, <laughs> <laughs> and so getting to air shows takes a long time. Um, and you know, one of the big reasons I wanted to do the air shows again, because I grew up around it and I really appreciated the opportunities that it, you know, like my upbringing around it. And it's just really magical to meet all these crazy characters. Um, and particularly since my, uh, my kids, especially my oldest son is just like the biggest airplane geek I've ever seen in the best kind of way ever in my whole life. Um, mm-hmm. I wanted to give him that experience, but with the family, gosh, it would be so nice to have like a BJ team, just load everybody up, load the dog up, just fly to whatever air show would be there super quick um whereas with the comedy act it's like i gotta figure out how to like orchestrate getting the family there and the ambulance there and the and and the airplane there and then weather considerations and all that sort of stuff so um i'd say that's probably more in my future i really like um i really like sort of like the unique novelty act uh the high performance airbags that i re i always really really want feel like i got that out of my system and it's just so hard on the body and stuff mm-hmm. uh, plus the airplanes are crazy expensive i mean you know a brand new extra is probably six hundred thousand bucks or more now kind of thing whereas 
my cub I bought for $29,000. So yeah, <laughs> a little bit cheaper. <laughs> the working man's airplane. Yeah. I mean, yeah. my paint on that are like $270 a month. It's like, okay, I can figure out how to avoid that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, Eric, thank you very much for, for sitting down and chatting with us. That, that about takes us to our, our time limit for this one. I know we could both sit here and all three of us could talk airplanes all day long, but we really appreciate you taking time out of your day to come and uh, chat with us. Absolutely. Thanks for keeping the magic alive, fellas. Yeah, thank you. Okay, all right, everybody. So everybody that... at air shows uh, later, this, later, this, uh, later this year. Oh, and then the other thing. Yeah, hopefully. Uh, before I go, I got to plug uh, my go sponsor, Met7. Uh, give me 20 seconds. They, they just, they, they're fan- totally fantastic people. They're just like the most wonderful people on earth. Uh, and, uh, and they really ha- are making like a lot of um, headway in terms of technological advancement, in terms of saving pilots' eyes, making a lens that you can see. My favorite is you can see outside the cockpit, and then when you look in, it's not too dark, so you can see outside the cockpit and not be too bright on your eyes. And then you can look inside the cockpit where it's dark and like see stuff um, and read your screens and all that sort of stuff. So they really make phenomenal lenses, and and um, and their their sunglasses are just just incredible. So it's method7.com, and they're um, I recommend them to everybody. Uh, I was wearing them before they were my sponsor, and that's kind of how they how I found them. And like I said, they're just great people and they support the right things in aviation, stuff like that. So anyway, thank you guys so much for your time. Yeah. Thank you. That's awesome. Happy to have you. Howdy. Take care, bro. All right. Bye-bye. Thank you for tuning into this aviation conversation. We hope that our discussion of aviation brought a smile to your face. This was our first time hosting this event and we look forward to doing it again in the future. We welcome any feedback to improve these future events. You can find Full Disc Aviation online at www.fulldiscaviation.com and Mudspike Aviation at www.mudspikeaviation.com. Thanks again, and we'll see you next time.